the end of the day our job as suppliers is to make sure our clients get the best data and the data that we can stand by and the insights that we can stand by and the day you can't do that then you lost it right and that's where you want to use ai in a way where it gives you that boost to do more efficiently better faster better insights guided by over 25 years in the data and research industry and assisting innovators with investment banking and advisory services sima vasa brings you data gurus a leading market research podcast that offers actionable insights for business acceleration and value creation Join her as she speaks with key innovators in the space to bring you up to speed with the current state and the future of data analytics and data ecosystems. This is Data Gurus. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa. I'm so excited to welcome Amishi Talkakar, who is a co-founder and CEO of Nailbiter. Welcome, Amishi. Hi, Seema. It's so good to be talking to you. I've been looking forward to it. Same. I got past the hardest part, which was pronouncing your last name. It's really, I think I've shared with people, the hardest thing about the podcast for me is to be able to say people's names correctly, because I'm sensitive to it growing up and everybody kind of changing the pronunciation. So thank you for being patient with me. Oh, of course. And you got it spot on. So I'll say that was a 10 on 10. So thank you. (laughs) I can make you feel really good. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, Mishi, you have such a cool background. And I want to talk about Nailbiter and obviously how you founded it, why you founded it. But before we dive into that, can you just share a little bit about your background and how you got to the point of founding Nailbiter? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I actually started my first job was at MTV India as an aspiring VJ and clearly didn't succeed or found <laughs> that to be more exciting. I'm one of the few people who was like, oh, wow, I love the numbers that I'm seeing with TRPs and things like that. Fast forward, I came to the US to do my master's in marketing research. So the passion was so strong that I actually decided to pursue my master's in this industry. My first job out of school was at Frito-Lay. So Doritos and Cheetos were my brands. I was in Plano, Texas on the consumer insights team and just fascinating, right? The CPG industry, working on such iconic brands was just amazing to amazing experience, if you will. Moved to AOL, continued my journey on the client side and eventually made my way to the supplier side at Afinova. And that's when I'm so grateful for that opportunity because it got me to see the client side as well as the supplier side. And Guess what? Still on the supplier side, having a lot of fun. (laughs) I've had that too. That's awesome. It's funny because I've been on the supplier side for so many years before I went into investment banking and advisory services, but I went to IBM on the client side and the grass is not always greener. There's pros and cons to both sides. I can totally empathize with having both experiences. They, they just, they, they randy out though, honestly, right? From seeing the world from those two perspectives. It it does. And it just makes you a more empathetic researcher, I feel, yeah. on both sides. So if you started your career on the supplier side and 
went to the client side, I feel like those clients are just great to work with, right? Yes. No. And so the clients who haven't worked, but of course. I think it's a different kind of experience that they bring to the table. And same for people who've come from the client side and moved to the supplier side. I think it just makes us more conscious of the day-to-day things that our clients struggle with that we just need to have in mind. Like, why are they not returning my call? Guess what? 100%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, they have this whole other world that's even beyond research, Thanks. right? It's navigating internally and adding value to the business. So eventually, you were at Afanova. I think you mentioned that they got acquired. By Nielsen, correct. By Nielsen. By Nielsen. And that's where we had the option to join Nielsen or do something that we were really passionate about. And right. One of the things, like my first project, right, my first study ever uh, that I did was for Cheetos, where we were actually watching mom, moms and their tweens shopping for snacks. And we're following them around the store in a Walmart. And the first thing that's crossing my mind is this is not comfortable. This is, I feel, yeah. you just feel like, how's this all working where the mom's looking, talking perfect, the tween is perfect. I've been ar- around other tweens and they're not that. I'll tell they're you. Not, they're not I'm that nice. Not. <laughs> and then if I told them they should buy a healthy snack over Cheetos, they'll be like, sure, yeah, I can forget about that. Yeah, exactly. So that left that doubt in my mind where how real is it? But we didn't have a choice, right? We did the best with what we had. This was like early 2000s. And then we followed it up with quantitative survey because then you want to validate the 20 people you saw in the store, right? right? Yeah. And that kind of really stayed with me because I legitimately felt that there has to be a better way to do this. Right. Fast forward, this acquisition happens and and that's, I'm thinking about what should I do, right? What mm-hmm. should I be doing? And that's where me and my co-founder were talking and we were like, this is a problem that exists in the industry. We are we are using right. online surveys and they have a role to play. Absolutely. Right. But there is this part where we are expecting consumers and shoppers to recall what they did or predict what they're going to do without having all the facts in front of them. And that's where Nailbiter came to be when the whole kind of goal was how do we observe shoppers and consumers in that moment of truth when these decisions are being made? And just watch. Let's see what they're doing. Let's have them talk as much as they want. Right. Ask them a few questions without leading them too much. And just use that quantitatively to answer these burning questions that we had when we were on the client side. So you decided to use video, I would as a primary right. source to and and it, I guess it what it does is it prevents the unnatural feelings of data capture because you're not being quote unquote watched as you're making every decision during your shopping journey. Yeah, this is the best part because these videos are literally, these are consumers and shoppers either like recording their screen when they're shopping online or literally the camera is pointing to the aisle and they're shopping for cookies and they don't feel compelled to say the right things because if I'm buying a brand that I love the yeah. I'm buying the brand that I love that's what right. it's all about I'm and they may not be looking at calories they may not be looking at what's popping here and what is the content is it a clean label that may not be the things that they are consciously Actually doing yeah about, right right, right. And those who are thinking about it you get to see that as well because there is a you know really strong set of consumers and shoppers who want recyclable packaging, who want a clean label, who really care about organic ingredients and them do what they do. Let people who don't care about it do what they do. We want to let people be and just not force them to think about things that 
they may really not care about. Yep. Yep. Right. And so how, does that work? how does that work? She, it, it, first of all, you said you do this at scale. Yes. Is that right? This is not qualitative. This is more, you would put this in the category of quantitative shopper insights. Correct. So, correct. And that's been our biggest differentiator is we okay. want to, we don't want to give you a few videos and then have right. you watch the videos to figure out what's going on and then build a survey, right? The right. goal here is it is at scale where we're talking to hundreds and thousands of shoppers as they're making these purchase decisions in the store. The way it typically works is before the videos even come in, there is a screener that goes out using our traditional screening methods. Sure. And we are capturing what's on their shopping list. So okay. that allows us to get whether they are category buyers, where they're planning to buy their products on the next shopping trip. Is it online? Is it in-store? If it's either of those, is it walmart.com or is it going to a Walmart or is sure. it going to, or going to a Wegmans, right? So we can yeah. capture all this. And that's where on the other side, our clients are working with us to better understand what's happening with their categories at these specific retailers. So then we using the shoppers getting this data and we invite the shoppers to make a video the next time they are in the store planning to buy the category. Again, they don't have to buy because there are many times I'll put something on the list. I go into the store. I'm like, should I be buying this? Yeah. <laughs> How many times? Or you look at the subtotal of your cart and you're like, yeah, I don't really need that today. Exactly. <laughs> 10 snacks. I think my kids will be okay with five. Right. And and that's where we don't force people to do anything that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So these are like short videos okay. for the entire shopping trip. We just capture the categories that we're interested in. Mm-hmm. So literally these videos could be 30 seconds long. They could be three minutes long, depending on how much time the consumer wants to spend deciding what they're going to buy, right? Right. And that's where these videos then come into our system at scale. And we start tagging them for very specific metrics. Nice. As you can imagine, there's a lot of people say, right? Who they're buying. I used to buy this. Then I got into this. Then I got into this. But now I'm doing this, right? So just there's a wealth of information. But if I start to look at every little bit, you're going to get so many data points and you're not going to know what to do with it. So that's where over the past 10 years, we've developed very, you know, specific metrics that we tag these videos for that have become the currency on our clients, our client team. So they'd be like, here, Mishi, we really need this code to take to Walmart. Those are the conversations that they're coming to us with when now these metrics get tagged, right? Or, or these observations get tagged into metrics, the behaviors that get tagged into metrics. And we share these metrics with our clients on an ongoing basis. So our clients will start off potentially in the beginning of the year. And it, sometimes there'll be like an always on platform where videos keep coming in Sorry. and quarterly we'll report out what's going on. What are the trends? How are our shoppers evolving? What's happening when our product went out of stock? Right? Who did we lose it to? Things like that. Does and that it, it does. And I, I guess I, there's a really important point here is that you're, are you continuously collecting the data? It's not on a project by project basis, but it, what I'm understanding you say is that it is data collection for specific categories on a continuous basis. Is that right? It's, it's both. So we okay. have a lot of clients who use like more of an ongoing tracker mm. kind of performance. Yes. We just want to understand how things are evolving. Right. Uh, there are clients who work with us on an ad hoc basis also. These tend to be like four or five week engagements where they're trying to get some information for that point in time. Hey, my products are doing well. Right. What's going on in the store? What's happening? 
Okay. So. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It sounds like you've hit a very important niche because obviously launching new launching products is one getting the feature benefits is important during the product innovation cycle, but then actually getting it on the shelf and understanding what's happening at the virtual shelf or on the physical shelf is another big determining factor of a product success. Are you finding that you are able to inform clients as to what's going on with new product or new item introductions? Yes, and that's one of the cool things our clients come to us for it. Clients typically have historically done so much research before something makes it. Yes. You know, in the conceptual yes. stage, there's like hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars being yes. spent. Yes. But then the product makes it to the store and you're relying on sales data, right? Right. How much is it turning over, right? Point is of sale. Yeah, clients. exactly. Yeah. And then one of the things clients are realizing is there are things to influence. We have the option. If things are, if the sales are softer, that right. are, unless they decide to, hey, we're going to just shower it. Like yeah. Yeah. Then there's no point, right? But a lot of times clients want to know, hey, what happened, right? It tested so well. We had these amazing projections, but our sales are softer than what it was. And a lot of times it has to do with execution. Where was it placed on the shelf? Mm -hmm. You showed the perfect pack with the perfect lighting with the competitive set to your consumers on a virtual shelf, but real world, your bottom shelves. Right. Looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And no wonder the sales are softer than what you right. thought. And that's where we'll go to them with recommendations that you may want to do a display because yes, you're not mm-hmm. getting better placement. Retailers probably saying your product is not turning over. That's why it's bottom shelf. But right. at the end of the day, we can give them data that shows that if it was at eye level, you would have turned it over faster, right? Right. right. Use yes. that data to take to retailers to get better placement because the problem is not in the product. The problem is in where it's shelf today. Give it a little bit of time. Have these conversations. Go with videos, right? Because these yeah. are shopper videos. Add that retailer who's talking and saying, wow, I love it. I want to buy it. I want to try it. And, you know, that's so much like richer information than going yeah. with some slide with like many numbers in it. And so, you have that too, but the videos right. also go with it. I, f- I always find that the videos make the data, co- it makes it come alive a bit. People can connect to people speaking about their experience. Let me ask you this. So typically consumer insights is doing the idea screening, doing the concept testing, all that research before launch. Yeah. And then it goes into market and and shopper insights then steps in and says, this is my interpretation. I would love to get your feedback because you live this every day. Shopper Insights comes into play and says, how do I sell more of this new product? Is there a connection here between Consumer Insights and Shopper Insights? What do you see on the client side there? It's interesting. And it varies quite a bit. Yeah. Because historically, what would happen in market was also Consumer Insights. Like Shopper Insights Ah. Used to like 20 years back, there was no Shopper Insights team that right. yes. I used to work, right? So, Shopper Insights ha- has become a thing in the last few years and it continues to grow because I think right. one of the key things that brands and companies are realizing is your retailers have so much power, right? Yeah. They can decide the future of your brand based yes. on where they place it. We see more and more private label brands being pushed yes. by retailers. Yes. Right? And and our name brands, national brands, which used to have so much leverage, 
at times losing share of shelf power yeah yeah losing share of shelf whether it's in store whether it's online like you go to amazon.com you put cookies i'm keep using that example i just love cookies so dandy <laughs> <laughs> man but um, when with cookies i could type in literally just cookies and guess yeah. what if i had my own brand amishi's cookies Yeah. Come even before your Oreos or your chips are hot, and I can yeah. So retailers hold so much power today to decide who they want to push, and that's where this whole shopper insights category management has become so important. Because the main goal here is to number one have these strategic conversations with retailers, because retailers want to. continue to push what's right for them what's right for the shopper mm-hmm. so if shopper insights comes in they can't they won't necessarily go in with here's my brand and this is what you want to do their objectives are more for the category so sure. they want to sell more cookies at walmart so that's right. the conversation they are having where everyone wins right the right. retailer wins their brand wins our brand wins in the process so if you grow the category our brand is expected to get that fair everybody share. everybody li- is lifted Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. And not losing that shopper. I think that's another piece where the big retailers are, in certain cases, losing their shoppers to the dollar generals of the yes. world. Yes. Right? Yeah. And yeah. they have become more value driven. So at the end of the day, if I'm one of a bigger banner retailer, and if I have data internally to say that I'm selling fewer cookies, right? What's going on? Yes. Then the goal here is to. minimize walkaways which is amishis are walmart shopping for cookies they want me to buy some cookies any cookie right, right? right. they don't want me to leave and just go buy something online on amazon.com yeah, which makes happens we see videos where people are in the store pull up the phone see what's on there and buy on amazon.com and you just lost the shopper when they right. were in your store in front of your category yes yes obviously covid completely shifted the landscape in terms of shopper behavior what are your kind of key takeaways from having pretty stable models in terms of shopper journeys and understanding how people are shopping categories physical online and then we had covid where the world changed where do you, where are we now are we back to i don't think we're back to i just think of my own behavior we're not back to pre covid but Where, where does it net out from your perspective or maybe it's not maybe it hasn't settled it's yet not, yeah it hasn't settled yet and i think that's the world we are in where it's not going to be settled i think those playbooks that we would create that lasted for 5 yes. years yeah it's a thing of the past i think with the world the way it keeps evolving with also yeah. the generations that are entering you look at a millennial versus a gen z very yeah. different right i see gen z's buying more engaging with more brands on yeah. TikTok, yes. right, and Instagram, as compared to the traditional ways in which we would engage with them. So, how do you make sure that you are relevant to them, right? right? Yes. How they are so influenced, pun unintended, by social media influencers. Yeah. Oh my God, this one I follow talked about this. It's whether it's good, bad, ugly. I'm gonna yes. try no matter what, and it becomes a thing. And then so you true. So make true. A video of the unboxing experience, and you make a video. Like there's a video for everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think that's one thing that I'm seeing, which is, and clients are seeing that as well. Manufacturers are seeing that as well. That those playbooks are gonna need to evolve. I don't think they need to yeah. change dramatically from one point to that. I think some things continue will continue to hold. Right. 
get that nuanced learnings in is going to be really important, especially when it comes to digital. I think that's right. one thing that I've seen. I think the second thing we've seen is everyone is an omni-channel shopper. Yeah. Everyone is an omni-channel consumer, right? Depending on the day, or most people are, I would say, I shouldn't say everyone. I don't want to generalize 100%. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us, right? Yeah. Depending on the day, depending on what's happening with my life. I could be shopping in store. I could be shopping online. I might shop online and go pick it up in the store. Right. Like the options I have to fulfill that need are limitless. They really are. I totally agree with you. And I, I do agree. It's so much around your day or that time of day as to what you can invest in terms of quote unquote shopping. Correct, correct, exactly. And I think that's where also I feel that when you, the way I engage with brands also changes based on where I'm shopping. I may, and that time of day and day of week, right? Because originally I can speak for myself, like five years back, I would be writing down very specific brands that I wanted to go buy from the store. Right. Now, I I don't know if I do that because the way I shop online has changed the way I even make my shopping list. Whether it's an online list or a physical list, I think fundamentally a lot of people have changed in the way they shop. I feel the way they think about brands. Some folks find a lot of comfort in national brands, whereas in some other categories, buying private label makes me feel better about other things. Or even like for younger generations, buying a brand that's not national makes you feel like you're eclectic or right or different or whatever. I've seen that with my nieces and my daughters as well. It's, that is that is what you say is so true because I buy a national brand for a certain category. Let's take for example beauty and I my kids think they are experts at everything. I have two majors now which wait you didn't know that you're using and they've been like mom this is great but why wouldn't you try this? You should have talked right. to me like and exactly. have names of brands that I, I would be like, they call that brand this? Like, I question even some of the nomenclature. I'm like, well, what am I hearing here? But so true. Exactly so true. what you're saying. It's about being different and yeah. trying things. Yep. So let's talk about, we, we've talked about omnichannel. Let's talk about brands and spend. I, I We just went over the Insight CEO survey pulse results and many indicated that there's longer sales cycles on the brand side. There's lower budgets on the brand side. What are you saying, one? And two, what are brands doing if they're not getting the, getting research, right? Like, how are they informing their decisions? I'd love to get your perspective on that. Look, I think, I think they're just getting settled. I feel that even brands and manufacturers, at least some of the clients we've worked with, have seen so much change mm-hmm. and a lot of turnover, a lot yes. of reorgs where people just don't have the have it written of what their goals are for next year and they don't know what the amount that of budget they're going to get next year is going to be so it has been I agree I agreed with a lot of things and read and I'm like wow okay it's not just me I don't mean to say that everyone should be miserable like commiserate but you 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 don't feel like you're an anomaly this is pervasive yes I think there's definitely a lot happening on the clients and I think there's intent to spend I think clients are just on the conversations I've had with them it's been more about what like I need things to settle down I need to have my number and I think a lot of mergers and acquisitions have happened a lot of spin-offs have happened I think uh, in the industry there's just been a lot of movement if you will 
I also hear from clients that they, I want to say like they, they don't know what to expect either. Mm-hmm. They've had amazing years, just mm-hmm. like yeah. our industry did sure. 2020, yeah. 2021 yeah. and made a lot of profit. Everything was great. But then come 2022 and especially in 2023, yeah, I, I, I was traveling and I saw, I don't know how many people I saw sick. And yes. that's, that's basically, even that's that question. Then what can I expect in my peak season this year? Yes. Right? The holiday yeah. season is a peak season for a lot of right. manufacturers. But people don't know what the situation is right. going to be like on the ground. And, that's- and, and and how consumers will react, right? Are they going to say, wow, it's been a tough year. Let's tighten our wallets a bit and not go crazy because we just don't understand what's going to happen beyond the end of this year. It'll be interesting to see how consumers react. It is. And I feel like this is true. My husband works in the travel industry. and. Yeah. He talks about the fact that people are still continuing to travel like there's no tomorrow, right? right? Or after COVID or during COVID when people didn't travel, travel spend is going well. But yeah. one of the things that even they are seeing and they are hearing is that it at some point it has to slow down because yeah. now like just a couple of days, like yesterday, I think SNP like took yeah. a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> And again, is that's another question, which is this a trend? Is it going to keep going down or is it just one day, two days and going to go back up? Go back up, yeah. So again, we don't, it's, things are changing so fast. I think everyone's waiting in some way to see, is We're there the a recession? Are we in a recession? Yeah. Yeah. How bad it's going to get? Right. That's, and including the consumers, I think now it's finally, you're going to see it yes. that holiday season with consumers where how much do I want to hold back or It'll do I want to go all in? Yeah, it would be very telling, I think. My, I would be remiss to not to ask you this, but your thoughts on AI and how it might impact our industry. I, it's such an interesting question. And I hear so much of AI. I think all of us on yeah. the supplier side are testing some way of AI. I think there's sure. also that feeling of fear of missing out or fear of being perceived as not being forward thinking, especially for companies like ours where. Right. Clients come to us for forward-thinking innovation and forward-thinking innovation. So a lot of conversations happening. I do think that there's some really exciting things that are happening there and will continue to happen. I think every day there's some new thing that AI does, even in our industry. So whether it's generative AI for sample sizes or whether we've seen in analytics AI being used, we've seen it in even report writing, it claims that we can tell you which data point on this slide is worth talking about. There's still a lot to be desired. Let There's me a lot. While it randomly does good things, mm-hmm. I'm yet to see it being consistently doing mm-hmm. things where I can yeah. rely on it. Yeah. Make it happen. And I that's yes. what I feel. It will happen, but it's not, the answer is not in front of us. I think we definitely, all of us will have some AI as a part of our business in some capacity, because there are yeah. things that AI can do well. But at the same time, we have to be very smart about what it can and cannot do and just learn a lot. I think there's a yeah. lot of learning needed. Yeah. I always say AI is neutral. It's the people who leverage it. And how do we use it responsibly? Exactly. Exactly. And just again, at the end of the day, our job as suppliers is to make sure our clients get the best data and the data that we can stand by and the insights that we can stand by. And the day you can't do that, then you lost it, right? And that's where you want to use AI in a way where it gives you that boost to do more efficiently, better, faster, better insights. But at the end of the day, 
what that client is desiring is your insight, your data, what should I do, your answers, which is where it's going to be like your human need yes. is yeah. never going to go away. It's only yeah. going to, it's just going to make us better. And I use, the, I use the word empathy as well, like being able to, like for your business, to be able to empathize with consumers and you might have a completely efficient process that you can get to insights, let's say in 25% of the time, but your context around that and your experience over the years that informs that. And you can go back to say, I remember in 2009, this is what happened. And I'm going to put, I'll put that lens here. I think the beauty of it also is that we'll have more time to do those things. Exactly. So I think that's exciting. The one thing that's exciting for clients also is that they want, we've heard this from all our clients and even in our CEO conversations that we've had, hear that clients want cheaper, faster, but better. Yes. (laughs) They have smaller budgets but they don't want to compromise too much on the insights either right i think that's where ai can help in some way but if it makes us a little more efficient brings up bring our costs down a little bit or our timelines yes. down a little bit we can pass on those things to the client where we're getting clients to do more with us i think that could be the way to leverage that i completely agree with you amishi thank you so much for joining me today and i look forward to seeing you soon Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Data Gurus podcast brought to you by Infinity Squared. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.